Hey folks, Jeff Woods here. Before we dive into the episode, we wanted to ask a favor. If you like the episode that you hear today, we would love if you would leave a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. When you do, it helps us reach more people, which helps us make a bigger impact. It also helps us understand what we're doing well and what content you like so we can do more of it. And we read every single one. For example... R. Garen said, this is content rich and full of aha moments. I look forward every week to the One Thing Podcast and I'm consistently sharing it with others. We really appreciate you taking the time to leave that review. Thank you for sharing the episode. You're making more of a difference than you know. Folks, if you've not yet left us a rating or review, please do so today and help us reach more people. With that, let's get into the episode. This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing Team. The reason we host this podcast is because we want to provide you with ways to live the one thing at a higher level on a weekly basis. And one of the ways we often learn best is through story and through other people's experiences. Today, we're going to take you on a journey where you hear the story of a man who was building a successful business and he looks up and realizes that the number of hours that he was working was preventing him from actually having what mattered most to him, being a father who was present for his daughter. Today, we're going to take you on a journey where you're going to get to assess if you are striking the correct work-life counterbalance for you. If you are holding on to jobs in your company that maybe you could be having a higher form of success by allowing others to take some of that responsibility and what it actually looks like to show up for the people that matter most in your life. With that, let's get into this conversation with Dan Quiggle. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that, is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still want to eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor. And Factor is chef-created, dietitian-approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. Take us back to that moment, Dan, when you wake up and you realize that if you continue to operate your business the way you've been operating it, you're going to end up living a life of regret. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in, in work-life presence. You know, there's so many things that we hear these days. We read books about it. We have seminars about it, about work-life balance. And I just don't think that's real. I mean, I just don't. I mean, by the time, there was no trust fund here for my family. So that means I had to work. And so the problem is by the time you get done working, and by the time we get done sleeping, you know, how much time is left? I mean, sometimes you only have two, three hours with the people that you love in the evenings. And I think there's a time in your life where you're like, hey, I, I want more out of this. And, and, and also what really matters. 
And so for me, it was in those moments that I said, hey, um, first of all, I don't want to be the smartest one in the room. You know, I want to find people that are smarter and better than me at all these things. And also, I just need to let the people who are great leaders around me actually lead. And so it was that moment that I kind of took, decided to take that step away. Talk to us a little bit more about what your business is so people have an understanding of what you're talking about. Yeah, so I've always kind of been a serial entrepreneur. I've had different companies, but uh, I had America. I, I still have America's Choice Title Company in Florida. We have offices all over the state, and you know we're we've been around. We we survived the downturn. We you know we've we've grown since. Uh, we're always trying to be in you know pro growth mode, and we have great people. And and I'm a firm believer: you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So I feel great only because I have great people around me. I think the thing is, so often in business, we get in this position where we think we have to make the final decision, that we have to be in on every meeting, and that's just not the case. As a matter of fact, I think it's the opposite, that you need to replace yourself. You need to constantly be finding people that are better than you to do uh, the job even better than you dreamed you could do it. Did you always have this kind of a mindset, or was there a period of time when you didn't operate with this, and then all of a sudden you saw the light? Well, I, you know, it is funny because you you evolve, though. I, we evolve. And it's so funny because as a kid, you know, I was like, you know, I will be the boss and I will make all the decisions and I'll be, you know, and, and, and then all of a sudden you start realizing that, hey, this isn't, first of all, you can't make all the decisions. You need good people around you. And so it's funny, as the years have gone by, I've realized this more and more and really been able to kind of zone in on, uh, you know, kind of what matters in life. And for me, you know, family fun, (laughs) excitement, uh, doing the things that I love. I love to speak. So this has given me the chance to go out and speak more and, uh, and, you know, try to expand leadership. So I I definitely think it's evolved over the years. Uh, You go from kind of thinking that you have to be the one to saying, hey, not only don't you have to be, but maybe you shouldn't. What was the moment, Dan, when... Because I mean, I know just from our pre-conversations that uh, you always embraced leverage. You understood that you succeeding through others was the highest form of success. Yet we all go on our own journey where we realize we're hitting up against the ceiling of achievement. We're actually sacrificing the things that matter most. What was that moment for you when you realized, you know what? No, I got to start acting differently. Otherwise, I'm not going to be happy with the results. Yeah, so it happened when my daughter got into Pepperdine. You know, she gets a scholarship for beach volleyball. Uh, we know that she's going to be traveling all over the country and playing, and that we would never get that time back to watch her. And so I had this huge decision that I had to make because I had to realize that you know there's no way that I can travel and work full time and and you know put in all the hours that are necessary. And so you know it brought me back to this decision that I have to I had to make: uh, Am I willing to replace myself? Am I willing to hand the reins over to other people? And it was not easy because we really wanted to spend time with family. And that's, I think that most people would agree with that, that, that they want to do it. It's just hard to make it happen, and especially still hard to do that and be able to provide and, and, make, and make sure that you're moving forward as a company. So I'm curious for you who's listening, how many of you right now are struggling to strike this balance between working hard and being successful in your career and striking that counterbalance between being present with family. This is yours is kind of an extreme example, Dan, where all of a sudden, you know, your daughter's got a rare opportunity. I mean, I know she's on the pre-Olympic team and going on the pro circuit and whatnot. And that's a lot of travel. And to think that you're the business owner, I've got to imagine you were fairly active, right? I was, yes. Yeah. Which baby do you pursue? <laughs> Clearly you chose designing a life so that you could be a supportive father who owns a business rather than a businessman who's also a father. 
What was that first step that you took in your business so that it could still scale without you? Really, I had to evaluate the culture that I created. So fortunately, you know, I had a president that was, you know, very active. She runs the day, she, you know, she was involved in running the day-to-day operations. But I really found a CEO, a young CEO that I could put in an office next to mine that could really literally be me. And uh, somebody smarter than me, somebody probably even more interactive than me. And that was an interesting, you know, search because you you want to find somebody that fits into the culture, somebody that understands where you're coming from, but also then just cares like you do. Yeah. So people think there's nobody that will care as much as you do, but I disagree with that. I think that it takes a little while to find them, but there are some really caring, compassionate leaders out there that take great pride in the work that they do and the, and the outcome that is produced. And when you find them, it's just priceless. And and I've been fortunate to be able to find those people, uh, put them in the right places, incentivize them. And and you know, kind of move the business forward on a regular basis. It's hard to let go, though. I will admit, Dan, you're touching on something that anybody who has a high driver in them, you know, they're they're assertive. They they also have this need to have things done the right way, which one of the number one reasons they struggle with leverage or delegation is they just don't think it'll get done as as well without them. Based on your experience, what would you say to them to get started? I think that there's a lot of opportunity to empower others. And I think it's a mindset shift from finding success, not in the actual work that you do, but the work that the people around you do, and and then taking pride in the role that you played in that. When I talk to college kids, I'm really fortunate to get to talk to a lot of college kids. Some of them will run clubs and they'll kind of want the limelight on them. And I always say, hey, I'm about to tell you something that may take a lot of pressure off your shoulders for the rest of your lives. Because when I was in college, I thought it was, you know, me, me, look at me. Like, I need to be making decisions. That's what proves success and everything else. And as I got older, I realized that it's not, that it's helping others. It's investing in others. It's appreciating others. It's valuing others and creating opportunities for others. And all when you do that, it's really exciting. And, you know, some of these people will surpass you. <laughs> they'll, they'll be bigger and better. And, and, and it's not being threatened by that. It's taking pride in the role that you played in it. And I, I take a great bit, you know, a lot of pride in, in, in expanding leadership and investing in others and watching their success. It really is a, is a, a very big part of my life. And, and I really enjoy it. Well, what, what you just said there, the thing that struck me, what I heard is a lot of people when they think about success, they think about their, quote, personal success, achievement through the work that they do. And what I heard you say is when you talk about being able to build that type of a lifestyle where you could afford to go and travel around the world as your daughter plays and still have a thriving business, your measuring stick is less about what you do from an activity basis and more how you support those in your world so they can do a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, I think my role, I think the role of a leader is to truly be the visionary leader. I mean, someone has to dangle the carrot. Somebody has to create the vision because really, you know, what are... What are the workers, you know, the, the employees, what are they thinking about during the day? At 9.30, they're probably thinking about lunch. I mean, just to be honest, they're probably thinking about, you know, where are we going? You, you going out for lunch? You bring your lunch? At 1.30 in the afternoon, they're thinking about dinner or who's picking up the kids or soccer or ballet or are they going for drinks? And so we as, as leaders have to create such a compelling vision for them that they want to be there, that they want to be part of it. And I've seen that as, as I, um, you know, meet these very successful people that they are visionary leaders. They create very clear visions. And here's what I've always said. They create really clear, very lofty goals. But here's the differentiator. This is what separates them from everybody else. They then show everyone around them their role in it. And here's the kicker. 
Like, what do they get out of it? In other words, you know, and, and, and here's the difference, because see, wouldn't you want to be able to be so involved in, 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 a, in a goal and in a fantasy that you go to bed dreaming about it, wake up foaming at the mouth about it because you so much want to be part of it? You know, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger, the people who work for these companies would live there if they could. You know, some do, and they're, and they're making fried chicken sandwiches with pickles on top, and they feel like they're changing the world at Chick-fil-A. At In-N-Out, they have, you have managers, kids making $120,000 to $150,000 a year, managing other kids, making shakes, and they feel like they're making a positive impact in society. So I am convinced it, you don't have, it doesn't have to be you know, finance-related or sports-related or entertainment or tech. These are visionary leaders that have created a culture that's bigger than themselves, bigger than the product, bigger than the industry. And I think we all have the chance to do that within our companies, within our families, but we have to set the goal and make it clear and show them their role in it and what they get out of it. I loved what you said. The thing that struck me there was it's not just about casting the the compelling vision. It's showing the people in your world where they fit in and why it matters to them. Now, if they can't answer that question, what are they? I mean, I, this is what I think. They're like a hamster on a wheel. You know, where are you going to be in five days? I'm not sure. I'm just running. Yeah. Where are you going to be in five days? I'm not sure. I'm just running. You know, five years. I think you've got to get buy-in and they've got to believe in it. And, and I think that that's real power. And I'm not talking about power, power. I'm talking about the power of getting people to pop out of bed, to be excited about being there. And that's, that's our role. And I think if you let go, you'll have more time to create that vision. To invest in that vision, to to you know be part of the vision creation, and and that's really fun, and it's really you know I think part of, of just the of huge success. I think that's the interesting point. Is I immediately started thinking about you, who's listening to this, and it's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cast a compelling vision, show people how they fit into it, why it matters to them, and then you think about all the things that are on your four one one. All the things that are on the back of your 411 for your to-do list. All the meetings that you have. Do you ever struggle to slow down and have time to think? As we've been working with people and living your one thing or whether the people who attend the events, most of us just don't take the time to slow down and ever ask the question. So my question for you who's listening is, can you sometime today Stop and take one minute, 60 seconds, literally 60 seconds to seek clarity where you currently have none. Can you stop and prove to yourself that you can see clarity on what is my vision or where do they fit into it or why does this matter to them? Prove to yourself that you can at least do it because that minute turns into two, which turns into five, which turns into 10. And will you be better off down the road? Dan, you said something earlier. You said work-life presence, which I thought was super interesting. Go into that a little bit more. We grow up thinking we need this balance in our life, and the balance just isn't real. It's, it's not there because most people have to work, and by the time you get done working, and by the time you get done sleeping, how much time is left? You know, Let's say you have little kids. I mean, maybe they go to bed at 8.39, and you get home at 6. That's three hours. Yet still, knowing we only have three hours, there will be people listening right now that will walk into their home tonight and say, put the game on, or I need to return some conference calls, you know, or jump on, or return emails, or you know, whatever it is. They've been waiting. The family's been waiting. They, they're like, you know, give us a fraction of the time you just gave all those people. And so 
I really have switched over to something that saved me years ago. And, you know, maybe your listeners can just try it. I mean, I, I certainly I don't have all the answers, but, you know, try it because it's, it's, it's saved me. I switched to, instead of work-life balance, I switched to work-life presence. Like I want to be where I am and I want to be there fully. And so I would say if, if they only have three hours, it's going to be the best three hours they've ever had in their entire life. Because Down's going to go to the cell phone. I'm not going to jump on the conference call. The emails can wait. And by the way, if I'm returning emails at a regular basis at eight, nine o'clock at night, I'm not a good manager. I mean, let's just all admit that. I mean, delegate, like let other people do their job or help you with yours. That's why you're in a leadership position. And, and it's not just in the building because a lot of people will say like, I'm home, I'm home, I'm in the building. No, I'm talking about actually engaging with these people. Like not just the question, hey, how was school kids? You know, check. Okay, how are you, honey? Check. No, actually those follow-up questions, you know, kids, who are your best friends? Why? Oh, and by the way, when you go over to their house, are the parents even home? Maybe I need to get their cell number. Check, double check on that. I, I For me personally, going on this journey, because I am that guy who early on in my journey with working with Gary and Jay, I'm getting, I'm leaving the office at 5.15, 5.30, which means I'm getting home at six, but then my mind was still on work. And I realized the thing that I wasn't doing that had I started doing would have made being present at home easier or unnecessary. I just didn't have a transition. I was literally taking calls as I'm on the, the entire drive home and I'm walking in the door saying, okay, now I got to go. As my kids run up to me, there was no time for my mind to decompress and come off of work mode and go into family mode. What does that look like for you? So I have to admit, and I can't take full credit for this. I heard part of this from a speaker years ago and I just took it to a whole different level in my own life. When I get to the office each day, and, and, and by the way, I do the same thing at home. So I just want you to picture this. I don't even wait till I'm at the door because I know they're watching from the windows. I know that they can see me, but I can't see them. I know they're sitting in their car waiting for that last moment, but they see me, but I don't see them. I get out of the car. I stand up straight. I adjust the belt. I you know, straighten my shirt, whatever I need to do. And I literally say to myself, it's showtime because it is when we walk in to work and we're like, the traffic was horrible, the kid drop-off went bad, the weather's bad, that's the way today's going to go. But when we walk in ready to win, that's the way today's going to go. And I do this at home too. And you're saying, wait a minute, Dan, I need some alone time, some me time. I mean, to admit, why do you think I travel and speak sometimes, right? Because I, I, I don't party in these cities. I literally take, you know, shut the blackout blinds. I, I turn off the TV. I don't even turn off, I turn off my cell phone. You know how hard that is for me? I mean, what if I get a Snapchat or Facebook message or hilarious video I need to see at any moment? You know, it's hard. I turn it all off. I lay back in complete darkness and silence. And I, I say to myself, do you hear that? Nothing. And it feels so good. So I get the fact that we need some downtime. I also understand though that, the family matters. And if they have three hours, it's got to be the greatest three hours because you know that's a small fraction of the day. And I just have a strong feeling from a business perspective, at the end of the time, when the checks stop coming, all those other people are going to stop coming too. They're not just going to stop by on a Sunday morning and you know see how you're feeling, see if you need some chicken noodle soup, you're not feeling well. No, they're going to be gone. And so who are you left with? And, and I, I often when, when I get to you know, talk to my managers and uh, other CEOs or leaders within companies, I'll ask this one question, and it's maybe one of the most impactful questions just because I watch their body language, but I'll say, hey, I want to ask you a question, and you're going to know the answer. Everyone in this room is going to know the answer the second I say it. Are you ready? And they'll go, yeah. And I'll say, who gets the worst of us, the absolute worst of us? And they all sit back and almost in unison, they go, 
my spouse. And I'll say, so if that's not the case, congratulations. If it is, it ends today. The reign of terror is over. You wouldn't treat your best client that way ever, would you? You wouldn't even talk to them in that tone of voice. They could cheat on you with a competitor. Never return your emails or calls. We'd still be standing at the door going, you know, we love you. We're ready to do business whenever you are. We go home, one thing goes wrong. The beast has been unleashed. Well, let's let's ask the question to you. Who is getting the worst of you? I didn't like the answer that I got transparently. So based on whatever your answer is, my next question for you is, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would allow you to begin that experience with that person every single day on the right foot? I'll share for me, it's been um, when I park my car in the garage, it's almost a trigger habit now. When I park my car in, in the garage, I close my eyes and I take one breath because I know I can take one breath from a meditation standpoint, which often leads to two, which usually leads to at least a minute. And that's just an easy way to decompress and mentally visualize what, it's lo- what it'll look like to walk in the door, to put the phone down, to be present with the kids, to start having the tickle fest or whatever we're going to do, dance party. And when I do that, making that transition is easier or unnecessary. And when I don't, the results are the same. Dan, we know one of the thieves of productivity is an environment that doesn't support your goals. And when you look at what comprises your environment, it's often the place and it's the people that are in it. You've got an interesting perspective on who's in your environment. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, so I was really fortunate as a young man to, to work in President Reagan's post-presidential office. And I got to see him every day and travel. It was, it was a really exciting opportunity and kind of a front row seat to history. One of the things that he talked about all the time that I think separated him, and he gave a lot of his success in life, success in, life in this, to, was his kitchen cabinet. He had a kitchen cabinet. Every president has a cabinet, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Transportation. But President Reagan had what he called his kitchen cabinet, a group of trusted friends, advisors. And they offered him three things, brutal honesty. They had a shared vision, not the same vision, just shared vision. And they were success-oriented. And he really relied on them. And and I, I, in my own life, have incorporated this philosophy. And so I have a kitchen cabinet. It's a group of trusted friends that I rely on. Um, you know, if I take, if I have a big decision to make in my personal life or professional life, I go to these people. And you know, if six out of seven tell me not to do something, guess what? I'm not doing. But if six out of seven say, Dan, take a risk. You know, dream bigger, be better. Then I'm probably going to do that. And and I think that there's power in peers. I I would say if you take like the top 10, 15 people you surround yourself with on a regular basis, average them, that's about where you're going to be. See, at the top pulling everybody else up, or you at the bottom being pulled up. If I took my top 10, you know, 10 being the smartest, most successful, I I would say I would probably want to be in position like three because I want to help people that have helped, you know, because somebody's helped me. Everything I've ever had in my life, Jeff, is because somebody helped me. But I also want six, seven, ten people above me that are smarter, you know, more successful, saying, Dan, you can do better. And here's how here's how you should be doing it. And I just think there's power in peers. And when you when you then all of a sudden, those are the people that are gonna point out you're working too hard or you're not putting enough time into your family, or you need to be more present, or you need to let go. And 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 that's you know, that's where I think the magic happens. Well, let's let's put this into action. I want you to think about the people that you spend the most time with. 
are those people allowing you to hold on to your limitations, telling yourself the story that it's okay that you work that much or that you sacrifice the things that matter most? Or are those people setting the expectation of what it looks like to be a family man or a family woman first and a business person second? You absolutely can make this shift. And it's, it's why we honor you for listening to this. We want to bring these types of ideas and get you inside the minds of people who have already done this because it is possible. Dan, where can people learn more about you? Yeah, so you can go to quigglegroup.com. That's Q-U-I-G-G-L-E group.com. Speaking podcast. Also, uh, quigglegroup.com forward slash kitchen cabinet is my new ebook on, on how to surround yourself with the right people. Well, I appreciate the time, Dan. Thanks for coming on and for giving us a little bit of insight into your journey. No, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Dan Quiggle. Out of everything you heard today, folks, what was that thing that resonated most with you? For me, it was when he asked, who's getting the worst of you? (laughs) You know, it made me think about um, when we did our goal setting retreat last year, Jay and I held, we asked the question of all the roles that you play in your your life, you know, example, husband, father, partner, employer, so on and so forth. If you had to rank them in order of priority for Jay and myself specifically, being a husband was the number one role because if we show up for our wife or our wives in the fullest, it allows us to model for our children what it looks like to be a supportive partner, which makes business easier and necessary. And yet how many of us are showing up at our worst for that person. So you take a big idea like, oh snap, I got some work to do and now apply the focus in question. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make showing up as the best version of yourself easier or unnecessary? And continue to ask the question until you get it down to a specific measurable activity that you can do. And should you choose to go on a 66 day challenge, which is our journey to forming a power habit, would that make everything else easier or unnecessary in that area of your life? If you'd like to get a copy of a 66-day challenge calendar so you can start tracking it, go to theonething.com with the number one in the URL, click on the free stuff tab, and you'll be good to go. If you'd like to get a copy of Dan's ebook, go to quigglegroup.com slash kitchen cabinet. We'll also link to that in the description below. And as always, we really appreciate you listening. If you are not yet subscribed, please click that button so all future episodes automatically get downloaded to your device. And if you would like to leave us a rating and review, it would mean the world to us. It helps us reach more people and it also lets us know what's working for you. That way we can do more of it. Thanks. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.